You're listening to Just Food, a podcast about cultivating justice and health. This is a series brought to you by the Berkeley Food Institute at the University of California, Berkeley. I'm your host, Laura Clivens, and I'm here with reporter Elisa Escarce. Hey, Laura. In this episode, we are talking about new research into the impact of pesticides on people's health, especially folks who live in farming communities. And this study is being done by a unique group of researchers. Elisa, where are you taking us today? We're going to Salinas, California, about two hours south of San Francisco. People call it the salad bowl of the U.S., Every road into the city goes through fields, rows and rows of lettuce and peppers and broccoli. In the middle of all those fields sits the Natividad Medical Center. And at the edge of the complex, there's a little brown bungalow. This is the headquarters of a 17-year UC Berkeley research project into the health impacts of pesticides. It's called the Center for the Health Assessment of Mothers and Children of Salinas, or Chamacos for short. On a warm day in early June, a group of Chamacos researchers are preparing the findings of their latest study. But they aren't university professors with advanced degrees. They're high school students. That laugh, that's Giselle Lacero. She's 16, a rising high school senior. Last summer, Giselle and 10 other teenagers collaborated with researchers from UC Berkeley to collect data about pesticide exposure in their community. That's because growers in California use more than 200 million pounds of pesticides each year. And the Salinas Valley is one of the state's most productive farming regions. So these researchers wanted to find out whether teenagers like them are affected by all those chemicals. Tomorrow, they're going to present their findings in Spanish to hundreds of people at a community forum. It's, I want to say nerve-wrecking, but in a way it's kind of... It's going to be a new experience because I've presented in Spanish before in my Spanish class, but this is going to be in front of a lot of people and adults. Should we add it like with a desk or like um, have it like on its own? That's Brian Jimenez. He's another one of the young researchers, and he's working with Giselle on slides for tomorrow's presentation. This is their second summer working for the Chamaco study. Okay. Brian is 16, and he's a clean-cut kid, with a polo shirt and khakis and a big smile when he talks. Like many of these students, his parents are farm workers. He's been going with them to these forums since he was a kid. You know, my mom would go because of the information. I would honestly go because of the food. Um, but I would also, like, listen in and be like, oh, you know, this, this is cool. Tomorrow will be Brian and Giselle's first time at the front of the room presenting their research. But Brian isn't just a researcher for the Chamaco studies. He's also a research subject. He and several of the other students presenting tomorrow have been part of the studies since before they were born. It's kind of exciting. Just like a year or two ago, you know, I was on the other side. Now I'm on this side, you know. Now I'm presenting to them. Now I'm telling them what I know instead of me learning what they know. The thing that scientists have been trying to figure out by studying young people like Brian is whether farmworker families are harmed by the pesticides growers spray in the fields. One of the lead researchers is Kim Harley, a professor at the UC Berkeley School of Public Health. She's been working on the study since the beginning. In 1999 and 2000, we enrolled 600 pregnant women who were living in the farmworker community of the Salinas Valley. And at the time, there was almost no data on the health effects of pesticides for that population. One of the pregnant women was Brian's mom, Marina. I go by their apartment on a weekday evening. 
Marina isn't home from work when I get there, but Brian's dad, Julian, invites me to wait in the living room. One of the walls is covered in plaques, leadership awards from the Salina City Council, mostly for Marina. The door swings open as we're talking. Marina walks in. She's a tall woman in her mid-50s with Brian's nose and his big smile. Her short, dark hair is matted under her baseball cap, and she wears a blue sweatshirt with snow-white selves on the front. Marina is tired. It's early June, and the sun is starting to shine bright and hot on the fields where she works, weeding organic vegetables. Marina says her current boss doesn't use pesticides, but that's not how it was back when she was pregnant with Brian. I remember there were a lot of times when we were working in the lettuce fields. There would be little planes flying around, spraying and spraying. The air would hit us and it smelled really bad. But nobody said anything, not the crew leader or the supervisor. After she found out she was pregnant, Marina started going to prenatal appointments at the local hospital. That's where she was invited to participate in the Chamaco study. And Marina says she enjoys getting involved in her community, which explains all those plaques on the wall. So she thought, sure, why not? During her pregnancy, the researchers took urine samples and blood samples and asked her questions about her life. And when Brian was born, the whole Chamacos family came to visit. At that time, Marina says she didn't know that being around pesticides at work could hurt her baby. And that's largely because nobody did. Scientists hadn't investigated the effects of ongoing pesticide exposure on pregnant women and their kids. The Chamaco study was one of the first to take a look. Over the next 16 years, Marina and Brian paid regular visits to the Chamaco's clinic. Brian took all kinds of tests of his brain development, his weight, his breathing, the timing of puberty. And as the data came back, Kim Harley and her fellow researchers started to see some results that concerned them. The moms with more pesticide metabolites in their body had children who had more abnormal reflexes at birth. And we thought, well, that's concerning, but you know, we don't really know what this means. They're just babies. But as the children got older, when they were two and three, we started seeing that they were having poorer um, motor skills and poor slower language development by the time they were five. By the time they were seven, the kids whose moms had the highest levels of pesticide exposure scored an average of seven points lower on IQ tests than the ones who had the lowest levels of exposure. Kim says that means those kids were about half a year behind the others in terms of their brain development. And the pesticides had other negative impacts, too, like ADHD and asthma symptoms. The researchers organized forums to share what they were learning with the participants. Marina went to a lot of those meetings. And as she learned about the results, she started making big changes in how she dealt with pesticides at home. When we got home, we started tying our work clothes up in a bag, separate from the clothes we wore at home, because our work clothes had chemicals on them on top of the dirt and other stuff. The researchers explained to us that we shouldn't mix them with our kids' clothes. At work in the fields, Marina started speaking up to her supervisors and coworkers, reminding them of the precautions to take. And when those little airplanes started spraying close by, she'd stop working, get in her car, and wait for them to finish. Back at the office, Brian is sitting at a table, pen and notepad in hand. Giselle and two of the other young researchers are practicing tomorrow's presentation, and he's taking notes. 
The information they're presenting is part of a sub-study of the Bigger Chamacos project. They call it the cosecha study, which means harvest in Spanish. And instead of focusing on moms and babies, it focuses on people like them, other teenagers. Here's Giselle again. So the first of our um, goals are to measure the levels of pesticide exposure in 110 girls who live in the Salinas Valley. Kim Harley worked with the youth researchers on designing the study. One of the reasons we're concerned about this is that some pesticides are carcinogenic. We don't have any idea how being exposed to pesticides during adolescence might impact their long-term health with regard to breast cancer or other outcomes. Kim has helped lead a few Chamaco sub-studies, but she says this one was special. When you have youth from the community doing research with other youth, it just makes the research more relevant. It makes it more appropriate. It helps you know what questions to ask. Brian and Giselle and the other teenagers were involved from the beginning. They went to each of the 100 participants' homes and collected dust samples and urine samples. Then they sent everything off to a lab at UC Berkeley, and now they're analyzing the results. And so basically what uh, preliminary results show us is that any participant that lives within 100 meters of crops has higher exposure. And if you don't have a carpet at home, you do have lower exposure. Um, and if you don't open your windows... And do you think, like, are you going to keep your windows closed because of this? Um... I mean, I still open my windows. We don't want to, like, give the, these results to people and, like, scare them and be like, you know, don't open your windows, you know, take all the carpet out of your houses and stuff. You know, we just, we want to give them, like, what the problem is, but we also want to give them, like, solutions. That's the thing that's a little complicated about this type of study. These students are learning about risks in their community, risks to their own bodies. Kim Harley says this came up the first time she explained the findings of the previous Chamaco studies to the group, when she told them about how pesticides could lead to lower IQ scores and breathing problems. When I finished talking, there was silence, and I was really worried. So I said, you know, how does this make you guys feel to learn this? And they said, it makes us feel so proud. Um, they said that, that they didn't realize, you know, how much they had been helping society. And so they were so proud to have been part of the study. So that was, that was first of all, a huge relief. And second of all, you know, it was really, I was really touched by that. And Brian says, yeah, he is proud that farmers and scientists and policymakers all over the world use the data from old Chamaco studies to help them make decisions. And in a couple years, they could be using new data from this latest study. Me actually doing it, that really makes me feel kind of more important. Back at Brian's family's apartment, Marina says she's proud of her son. My dream for my kids was that they would make something of themselves, that they would go to school and have a career. And when I asked Brian if participating in the study has affected his plans for the future, he says, yeah. Brian wants to join the Army after high school, but after that, he plans to go to college. And participating in the Cosecha study has changed his thinking. I think Cosecha has kind of like shaped where I want to study. At first, I was like, you know, maybe I'll, I'll stay local. Then he thought, hey, maybe it's not that hard to get into Berkeley. Maybe it's not that hard to get in, you know, to somewhere else. So I am aiming higher now that I joined Cosecha and like learned more about the, the schools and everything. Working with UC Berkeley is a big deal for Brian. 
He says most of his classmates get summer jobs at Little Caesars or McDonald's or in the fields. Doing a scientific study, that's a pretty special thing. And the study has become more than just a job. I don't think of it as work. For me, it's just like coming to like a second home. Chamacos has often been the bearer of bad news, telling Brian and his family that the work they do and the community they live in have put their health at risk. But by building a community around the study and by inviting participants to help lead new research, Chamacos has given farm workers like Marina and youth like Brian the tools to make Salinas a healthier place. It's concerning and I do worry about it, but instead of just being concerned, I kind of look for, a, for an alternative of, you know, okay, what can I do to stop this, or what can I do to help this, um, to get rid of this? Pretty much that's what uh, Chamacos has also taught me. Thanks for that story, Elisa. So these students are almost done with high school. Does that mean that the study is over now? No. Brian and the other teenagers are going to keep working on their sub-study for another year or so. They're making videos and a radio show and planning advocacy projects with what they've learned. And how about the bigger Chamacos study? That's not wrapping up either. As of now, Kim and the other researchers are planning to keep following the teenagers till they're 21 at least, and maybe longer. You are listening to Just Food, a podcast about cultivating justice and health. This is a production of the Berkeley Food Institute. For more information about the Institute or more background on the Chamacos study, visit food.berkeley.edu. This episode of Just Food is produced by Lacey Jane Roberts and Elisa Escarce. The music is by Roy Burrell. I'm Laura Clivens. Thanks for listening. <laughs>